It's not that you don't have a good story or that you're not a good candidate. It's just that no one has set you up for success. What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed are mine and those of my guest. Hey, today we're talking to a brother by the name of Brendan Trainer, uh, and we're going to talk about uh, his new book that just came out called Fire Interview, The Storyteller Method. It's, uh, it's a great book, great read. Uh, you need to check out this episode of the podcast, and you need to get a copy of this book. Anyway, enough about that. Let's listen into uh, this great conversation. Enjoy. If you are uh, preparing for a captain's process, if you are a uh, a would-be firefighter, this is the podcast episode for you because I think that this uh, will really inform uh, how you move forward, how you go through the interview process, and that's why I want to talk to you. So anyways, we're going to talk about all that. Before we go into that, yeah. um, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Brendan Trainer. Uh, I'm a captain and a paramedic in Haztec. I started on private Ambo, like a lot of people do worked for Southwest worked for uh, PMT worked for Phoenix alarm room for a couple of years and uh, then got hired on the fire department and worked my way up the, the ranks on the fire department. And uh, always, I think every department has those people that you send to whether they're, Hey, this person's going to medic school. Can you help them out? Or this person's testing for this. Can you help them out? And so I started to become one of those people that they would send people to, to help with getting hired for recruit firefighter in the beginning. And that started off just a couple of people here and there. And then we slowly started to put together this system of here's, here's how we're going to put together a, a system to answer questions. And that kind of evolved. And then it kind of got out of control where we had, you know, five people a day coming by the station before, before COVID kind of ruined that. But we had a, a ton of people. We were probably helping a couple hundred people with interview stuff. And so I started putting together this packet just to give away to people. And so to back up a little bit, when, when I prepare people for interview stuff, well, hold on, hold on. We're going to dig into okay. that. But before we do that, cause I know, I know, um, it's, uh, <laughs> I know something about you that you didn't even mention, which is that your dad uh, was on the job. Yes. And I actually had the pleasure of working with your dad uh, a handful of times. And what's interesting to me about your dad is, so, and, and that you're, a, I would call you a chip off the old block, right? Because he was very much involved with education and with, um, you know, I learned how to become a, a, how to pump a fire truck. Yeah. From your dad's method and, um, and, and the things that he did for our agency and I'm assuming for the whole Valley, uh, he also participates in uh, writing of tests, right? Yes. And so, um, I took several West trainer tests in my career yeah. as I was coming, uh, coming, uh, through the system up the ranks and, uh, and so it's anyway, so it's funny to me that it, funny, it's good. It's yeah. cool. I think it's, it's, it's intuitive that you would be down that same pathway, but let, but let's talk about a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your, uh, what it's like growing up in the trainer household yeah. and, uh, it, you know, and how did, cause you obviously ended up following kind of a similar path. And I think that's, uh, a lot of kids who come up in the fire service, whose dads are on the job kind of end up there, but, uh, or not always, but. Yeah. It seems like a natural progression. For sure. Right? Yeah. Was so, that something you always wanted to do or you know, watching your dad or how'd you yeah. end up there? Yeah. I always wanted to be a firefighter and I, I remember doing ride alongs as a little kid and in Phoenix and 
station 18 and, uh, I just loved it. I loved uh, going to the station. I had my, my little Phoenix fire uniform, you know, I can't remember <laughs> how old I was when I did my first ride along, but really young. And, uh, I put my little uniform on super early in the morning with them uh, to drive into Phoenix. And, um, I just loved it. Uh, I remember doing like for show and tell in sixth grade, I innovated a dummy in front of my class and explained what I was doing. And <laughs> that's awesome. so I was into it the whole time and, and helping him with testing, uh, processes. So, uh, engineers and, and captains and shift commanders, uh, depending on what, what city it's for. Uh, since I was probably 16, he would take me out and I would help in some way, pretend to be the alarm room, or if it's an engineer's practical and pull hose and, and then now, uh, being a grown man and a captain, now I'm, I'm writing one of the captain's tests right now. We still do the promotional processes for most of the cities in Arizona and uh, as well as Phoenix Fire's written exam and then the Phoenix Fire's promotional processes as well. So, yeah, it's just been a, a lifetime of uh, fire service stuff and, yeah. and, and getting mentored by him and helping out since I was a little kid all the way up into to present day. And so what, when did you start jumping into the pro into the testing process right out of high school kind of thing? As soon as you're eligible. Yeah. I started testing, uh, when I was 19, I think was when I took my first test and I was not ready. <laughs> you would think based on everything I just said, like, Oh, you probably crushed it. I didn't crush it. Um, uh, I got crushed, but it was good. It was humbling. So I, I went through a lot of the East Valley cities, like Chandler, uh, Mesa, Gilbert, Queen Creek, Tempe used to Scottsdale. Uh, they all run intern academies, mm. which is kind of like if you've ever been to like football tryouts, that's what it's like. Except I'm told now when I go speak at schools that they don't have tryouts anymore. Everybody makes the <laughs> team now, but, uh, I got crushed. I showed up to my first internship and there was a three time world series champion trying out from the Yankees and, Another guy who's a three-time world skills course champion that was sponsored by Scott and just these beasts of men, uh, and they're grown men, you know, I'm this versus kid, a 19 year old kid. And, uh, so of course I got destroyed and, and in my, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a legacy hire, right? I'm a locked in, just a cocky young kid and was, wasn't ready, wasn't the best candidate. And I remember, uh. One of my mentors still to this day, uh, Jamie Spada, he was one of the recruit training officers at the time. And he pulls me aside and he's like, Hey, Brennan, you know, we really like you and we really like your dad, but you got to earn it like everybody else. And they didn't hire me. Yeah. And then I went through again and they didn't hire me again. At, at 19 years old, how, how prepared were you for that rejection? Um, I didn't take it real well. I mean, I guess I, I took it as good as I could. So, you know, you spend those couple of days real upset, getting getting the rejection, thinking, man, I, I thought for sure I was a top candidate. And then you show up to the big leagues and it turns out you're not a top candidate. And uh, I went to, I asked them if I could come down and talk to them about what I could do better, which is something that I recommend to people. If you're getting a lot of no thank you letters, whether it's for a promotional process or getting hired, reach out to them. They will, they will more than likely sit down with you and tell you exactly what you should do. And so that's what I did. And they told me, um, you know, physically you're, you're not with at the same level as these other guys. I was kind of doing the LA fitness thing 
and you know you're not strong enough and you need some more life experience you got no wife no kids you're 19 not that those people can't get hired but it's tough you're like i'm unencumbered <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that and, makes uh, me the perfect candidate <laughs> yeah so i just started working on the things that they told me i needed to work on yeah. and i went and, and started um, became an olympic weightlifter and and started competing and and just doing stuff to make myself a better candidate yeah. and well and, and you said you had mentioned that you started working for a private ambo is that kind of along the same timetable yeah i got hired there when i was 19 and started getting ex experience there and uh I, I don't know if you follow our instagram page but i poke a lot of jokes at that because i remember thinking well i'm an emt on the ambulance and i'm in good shape and that's what you're looking for right and they're like yeah you and everybody else kid you right. know and, and so that's where we talk about like what can i do to create separation because just working on the ambulance and being in relatively good shape, well, you and 5,000 other people that applied. Right. Um, so what, I think. So well, tell me, though, what we're saying. I mean, at, at 19 years old, working on a private ambo, you obviously have to, you're going to grow a little bit and take some stuff away from it, right? Can you yep. point to anything that, that you look back and go, yeah, that's what I learned during that time period? Yeah, yeah. So I, I worked a little bit in a facility, and then I got into 911, which has started to help me. Uh, learn the hierarchy of things. And of course, it's no secret that private ambulance is not the greatest life in those companies. And so wanted to get into fire and um, just took what what I could from that job to, to try to apply it to, to fire and, and realizing that coming as a young kid who thought he knew everything, that you, you don't really know anything. You're at the bottom of the totem pole. You need to close your mouth, open your ears. You got a lot to learn. And so it was a humbling time frame there from, you know, the, those first couple of years of just learning mm -hmm. uh, where I'm at in the hierarchy and what I need to do to yeah. make myself a better candidate. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a really important lesson to take away from that because that, uh, you know, like you said, hey, man, I, I am a legacy hire. Like I know, I've been around this for a long time. I am the perfect candidate, right? Exactly. And, and, but but getting in the mix and then learning a little bit more about the job is really important to gaining that perspective. Yeah. And I think and when when we start digging into you know the interview process, I think that this plays into that, right? Knowing who you are, knowing what you're where you come from and what valuable lessons you've learned along the way takes a certain amount of maturity. Yeah. And I you know I look back to when I was, you know, 19 and in the Marine Corps and I'm like uh if they weren't just telling me what to do, like, I needed that. Like I needed the yeah. direction, you know, yeah. I needed someone to inspire me and they would just say, Hey, this is what's expected. Go do. Yeah. Oh, okay. That was easy, but I wasn't going to, I wasn't ready to, uh, I didn't have a, a full depth and breadth of, of world understanding to be yeah. able to kind of set my own course. And I always tell people I'm, I'm really happy that I didn't get hired when I was 19, which, you know, some people may not. Why do you say that? that. Yeah. Well, well, I think I'm a much better uh, firefighter and man today for having had to earn it. Cause I can tell you for like for sure, uh, you know, everybody always says, Oh man, I wish my dad was West trainer so I could get hired. It wasn't like that. The department I work in, they literally told me to my face, they're like, Hey man, you got to earn it like everybody else. And now, you know, doing the hiring process for them now, fast forward several years later, it's true. We pass up on captain's kids and chief's kids. And it's really a, a, a place where it's like, Hey, of course, of course you have an advantage like any job if you know somebody, but it's not a golden ticket. 
And, yeah. and, uh, that was something I had to learn at a young age is like, Hey, if you can't compete at a high level, we're not going to pick you up because your last name. And so I'm thankful for that. Cause I feel like I can really say like, Hey, I earned my spot here. And, and, yeah. and along, along the way of earning it, it, it definitely made me a, a better firefighter and more appreciative. And, uh, well, speaking of appreciative, t- <laughs> tell me about your experience in the alarm room. So you went and you yeah. worked in, 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 uh, the Phoenix regional dispatch center. I did. And, uh, which covers a, a giant number of jurisdictions. Yeah. And, it's uh, like 30 cities or something like well, that. Well, right it's now it's lot. 28 jurisdictions okay, 28. that we provide service for. And, um, and it's about 2000 square miles and it was probably a little bit different when you were there a few years, yeah. a few years back, but, yeah. um, but same principle. Right. And so yeah. as a dis, but really the question is, is that what did you learn as a dispatcher that has shaped the way you approach your career now a lot tell me a lot so one thing i will say which i've told a lot of people is i was working private ambulance i was actually in medic school at the time and was completely done with the didactic portion of medic school got the call from phoenix fire saying hey we want to offer you a job some in this tough spot because they're like you can't finish medic school if you take Mm. this job but i've been in medic school for like nine months (laughs) i'm basically done right so I'm talking with my dad and we're trying to figure it out. I'm like, I'm going to do it. So I dropped out of medic school to go to Phoenix alarm. And, uh, for one thing, the pay was way better. <laughs> I had been doing the private ambo thing for a long time. So I was like, and, uh, it was amazing going up to Phoenix alarm, go, going to Phoenix fire from private ambo and just, uh, them wanting to take care of their employees and, and just the environment was totally different. And so I was really happy that I made that decision. And then as far as what I learned in those couple of years that I was uh dispatcher, uh, I think it really helped me with captain's testing and running incidents. And uh, you know, when you're up in Phoenix alarm and, and we all on Instagram and stuff like to make fun of dispatch and stuff, but uh, you really learn a lot. I mean, you think about it as a captain on the streets, you may, you know, get to be do an on scene reporter, run a fire once in a blue moon. And in the alarm room, it's every day. I mean, there's probably an incident going on right now. Somewhere in that in those twenty eight cities, somebody's working a house fire or apartment fire right. or a hazmat or TRT incident. So as a tactical radio operator, you're getting a ton of experience. I mean, you're getting to run Maydays and greater alarms and do all this stuff uh, with these units and, and just building up the amount of on-scene reports that I got to repeat back and help them balance calls. And, and, right. Well, and, uh, you're, and, you're, and you're kind of participating in the decision-making process. Yeah. As you're, you know, you're not necessarily executing it, but you're listening to the decision-making process. And I know, because I see it, but the back end, they're sitting back there going, why did they do that? Yeah. Right, so there's conversations about what was being done. Why was the decision being made? Why did they decide to balance this to a great alarm? Yeah. What did they see that we didn't get reported on the initial phone call or what have you? Yeah. How did the event evolve? So that's a, a really interesting perspective. Yeah. When um, I took my captain's test, the, 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 the guys that I work with were telling the, the people putting on our tests at the Vic, they, they were like, uh, he used to be a dispatcher, so he's going to talk real fast. He's going to try to keep up. <laughs> and uh, you can tell. It definitely shows. You can tell when somebody spent some time in the alarm room, uh, just that comfortability with the radio. And yeah. uh, this everybody wants to get sets and reps. There's no better way to do it than sitting in the alarm room. Uh, so, yeah, it was a great, great experience. And I always told people, if I never got picked up by fire, I would have stayed in Phoenix Alarm. It was a great experience. 
No, that's cool. Yeah, there's a, you know, when I think about the alarm room, it really is a, you know, a little plug for, for good old AHQ is they have a, it's a really great career and it's a, it's a different side of what I would consider the, you know, the public safety coin, right? You know, it's a, the opposite side of it. Um, that pre, you know, uh, pre-arrival and it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting career. I don't yeah. know that I have the constitution for it, man, but it's, uh, it's an interesting job. And I think that, um, more people should put their hat in the ring, you know, and, oh, go, yeah. and go check it out. Oh I think, yeah, you know, and, for sure. Because it's a, it's a very rewarding, uh, rewarding career. Stressful. What's interesting is I think about all the calls I've run in the course of my career and how the things I've seen and the things that I've smelt and and been present for, and yet you know, and, and there's always a dispatcher connected to that, and they don't. Yeah. They're there. They listen to it. Yeah. And it's a very different, it's a very auditory impact. It's not visual. It's not, you know, they don't yeah. smell it. It's, it's different. They all, they hear, they only hear it. And so yeah. they're, they're left to their imagination. And I think about how that's, you know, how that can be scarring just like anything else. I'm definitely more forgiving when my MCT information's like not totally not accurate. accurate. <laughs> yeah. And you get on the call and you're like, this isn't this call, you know? And, and uh, yeah, then I think back. I tell guys that get all upset with this, but I can't believe it. They put this and this in the MCT, and it wasn't even close. You know, you should go take some of those phone calls, man, right? <laughs> and see what they were dealing with. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I would submit to you, man, that that anytime somebody uh, has those questions, they should get with their alarm room. I don't care what part of the country you're in. Get with your alarm room, folks, and and set up a time to come and do a sit along. Yeah, and just plug in and listen to them. Listen to the calls, you know, yeah. sit in with a 911 call taker and listen to the flow of information that comes in or yeah. doesn't come in. Or they're just screaming into the phone and you're right. trying to get just their address. And as the, as the units, you're like, I can't believe we have no information. And you're kind of mad at your dispatcher. It's like, if only you knew that they just have someone screaming into the phone, uh, right. you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. If you think about it like this, you know, we get on scene and people are hysterical. Yeah. Right. For certain things, pediatric code, for example. Right. Well, imagine that mom trying to call on the front end, and they're like, "Just send help. Just send help." And you're yeah. like, "Hey, I need your address. I need to verify your address. You know those kind of things." And oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. So it's a that's a well, what a really interesting experience for you coming into the fire service, right? So yeah. I'm I'm sure that it helps you um, navigate your testing process at some for point, sure. right? Yeah. All those experiences. Yeah, definitely, definitely helped me in the tactical getting ready for the captain's test. Yeah, I felt much, much more comfortable. Like I said, just those those sets and reps. Yeah. And it just rolls off your tongue after you've repeated back a thousand on-scene reports. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I would highly recommend the people out there look into the alarm room if you're uh, working on the ambos or, or hospital tech or whatever it is and you're trying to get picked up by fire or, or whatever direction you're going. Yeah, I feel like the applicant pool for that should be like 10 times what it is. It's like a hidden gem. Yeah. <laughs> here in the valley. Yeah, well, and it's a hard job, man. So maybe people are scared. Don't be scared. Yeah, don't be scared. Do it. <laughs> Do Phoenix Alarm. So you okay, one I want to have a I got to go back here cuz you dropped you threw a nugget in there. You talked about um uh Olympic lifting. Yeah. Or no, powerlifting or Olympic lifting? What, what did you say? Olympic lifting. So yeah. what's your favorite lift? Oh, man. I mean, my favorite lift is probably the deadlift, but I never really competed in that. But that's probably my favorite lift. I you know what I I I, mean, I love the snatch. Yeah, it is such a technical lift. It's a lot going on. Yeah, and I, I suck at it. Yeah, I competed in snatch and clean and jerk. Yeah, and uh, I never competed in deadlift. I don't know why I like the deadlift. It's just raw, 
But uh, yeah, I competed. Simple, in clean and jerk and snatch was my my game. Nice. Yeah. Nice. What well, when you say you competed, what what type of competitions? Uh, I co- competed for USA weightlifting. Oh, cool. Um, so I competed in USAW and uh, won a couple state championships, and uh, I was probably twenty four or so. At the time. Back in the day. Back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I did a little deadlift competition at my station the other day because now I'm a full dad bod, you know, and uh, married and kids and all that. And uh, one of our AMBO employees was kind of talking some trash at dinner about deadlifts and we made a little bet right out of dinner. Well, everybody goes back in the gym. We start deadlifting. With full bellies? Yeah. 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 Just for a dead, deadlift, just to settle a little bet. So that was fun because I hadn't picked up anything heavy in a long time. How to, how to go for it. It went pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I spotted him. What was the wager? So the wager was I spotted him his body weight. So I had to beat him by more than 160 pounds because he's only 160. So he's a lot smaller than me. Sometimes though that like the strength to weight ratio though. Yeah. So we couldn't go pound for pound because it would be pretty obvious that I'd beat him. So I spotted him an extra 160 and, uh, it went fine. It went well. <laughs> Did you, what was on? What was the? Uh, what was the bet? Chow. Uh, twenty bucks. Okay, that yeah. was twenty bucks. Yeah. So we we go back and forth and uh, <laughs> that stuff and it's good. That's time. awesome. Keep it so right. would you say that um, when I think about you know prepping for the testing process, do you feel like uh, that was a good base for you going into the testing process? Uh, doing the ambulance? No, no, no. Sorry. I, I'm oh, talking the specifically lifting. the fitness yeah, piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I know there, there's, there's like two sides to this coin. There's the people that love it and the people that love to make fun of it. But I went to CrossFit mm-hmm. and, and uh, well, I actually started out and it, a guy named August Schmidt, we started in his garage. This was kind of before CrossFit was a thing <clears throat> and started lifting and doing CrossFit type stuff. And then he ended up opening East Valley CrossFit, which is now East Valley strength and conditioning in Chandler. And, uh, just learning that doing like the Smith machine and the leg press and the stuff that was LA fitness, it wasn't really helping me. It makes nice decorative muscle, but then when you actually get under a barbell and do a heavy back squat, you don't have all those accessory muscles and uh, same thing with the deadlift and having the grip strength versus using a machine when you got to hold on to the bar. Yep. So that translated really well for me in the academy when you're doing a dummy drag or you're doing stuff turned out. Those functional move, movements, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, running, Olympic weightlifting, which is all free weights, powerlifting with all free weights. So I always tell everybody, you got to get out of Globo Gym. You got to go find somewhere yep. that doesn't have granite countertops. That's got a tractor tire and the air conditioning turned off. That's where you want to be because that's what your academy is going to be like. Yeah. And uh, and so I just kind of transitioned from the Globo Gym workouts to like what's what's going to make me functional in these tryouts and in the academy. And uh, I found that with CrossFit, which is not true for everybody. And you can do whatever you want, but when you kind of look at what their programming looks like. To me, it looked a lot like what an academy looks like. You don't have to do ring muscle-ups and handstand push-ups and some of that other stuff, but 95% of what they're doing in most of those gyms is uh, going to help prepare you. And then people go, oh, I know all these people that get injured and CrossFit this and that. And so I'll say it like this, right? There's good doctors and bad doctors too, right? There's there's doctors that, that you would never send your dog to, and then there's amazing, brilliant doctors, a gym is no different. 
So if you had a bad experience somewhere, then go find a, an instructor that knows what they're talking about. Like my, my mentor and instructor, August, who's coached national champions and, uh, go find, I always tell people don't learn how to swim from someone that's never been in the pool. So if you show up to a CrossFit gym and you find out that they took a one week course and they've never competed at a high level and they have no athletes that competed at a high level and that's your goal, go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I think looking at the output of their, of their athletes, right. That's a, an indicator, right? Like are, yeah. are their people competitive? Are they, do they look fit? Are they you know seeing results in these folks? Right. Yeah. That's important. And then, uh, yeah. Although sometimes, and I will, I'll check you on this one. I look at some of them, like when I go, just because they performed at a high level themselves does not necessarily make them a good coach. Yeah. Um, and neither does certifications, True. right? Like you get a cert yep. and it's, their wall is decorated full of certificates that they did all this. Well, yeah. Yeah. There's not always a lot of quality there. So you have to, you know, I, don't be afraid to I think, test drive and find the right atmosphere. For and, sure. You know, yeah. the, uh, it, there can be a difference there and it, in the just in the atmosphere, the way that it has to jive with you, and you have to um, fit in with the culture in the in the gym. Yeah. Uh, it, otherwise, you you're not going to want to go. Or and you got to surround yourself with the right training partners. Right. Aside from who your coach is. Right. We did a Instagram video on uh, IGTV about uh, fitness, firefighter fitness stuff, mm-hmm. and I talk about going to the dark place, which not everybody knows what that is, mm-hmm. but. Uh, really pushing yourself like we did another little station bet on the, the the aerodyne bike the assault bikes and it's one minute how many calories can you get in one minute Oof. and it sounds like oh one minute how hard could that Oof. be but you're you, you know you got to go to that dark place and it, yeah. it's, it starts getting painful so i tell you guys this this and, and gals this dark place is when you you're communicating to your body that you want it to change so when you're exercising whether it's cardio or uh, whether it's powerlifting or whatever it is, whatever type of training you're doing that day. If you just kind of take it easy, break a little bit of a sweat, enjoy your music, you're communicating to your body that I'm happy with the way you are right now. Mm-hmm. But if you push the envelope a little bit and you go to that dark place a little bit, I'm communicating to my body. This is where I want you to perform. This is our new happy place. And so I tell yeah, guys like, yeah, I don't like going there. I don't like going to that place where my hearing and my vision starts to darken <laughs> down and I feel like I'm going to throw up and the lactic acid's building up. Hey, you got to get comfortable there. You got to get comfortable being uncomfortable, set up a little yeah. pillow and blanket in that dark place. And uh, that's what's going to propel you. But to get back to the original point, you got to surround yourself with other athletes who want to push the envelope too. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously you want to be safe and do things of good form and all that. But ultimately, uh, I surrounded myself with people who wanted to push the envelope. And uh, I think that's a huge key, too, for, for those of you that are out there training for whatever it is that you're training for. Right. And well, so- they think that speaks to being objective-driven, right? So if you if you are training with like-minded folks who have similar expectations and outcomes and, and are willing to push one another, I think that's important. If you're, if you're like, hey, man, I'm not I, – I just want to – to your point about pushing beyond the threshold of comfort, you know, you can maintain a very healthy quote unquote lifestyle. Sure. With just kind of casual, frequent, casual exercise, right? Um, make you maintain the basic healthy, well, health and wellness of your body. But when you're trying to optimize or maximize the capacity of your body, it does take a, another level of commitment. And I think even, you know, pushing yourself to be uncomfortable, whether it's studying 
and 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 putting yourself uh, in mock interviews and um you know when we talk about testing process right like yeah. putting yourself in front of people that you don't know yep and and exercising your your uh your script if you will like exercising your uh your uh, platitudes and your and, and your thoughts and ideas and putting your thoughts and ideas out in front of people yeah. it's it's scary and hard to do but you have to go to those hard places if you want to improve and public speaking is one of those things that's really hard for folks um very scary very intimidating and um and hard but you know going you know so the physical fitness piece is just like that right yep. i find i've always felt that, that was easy for me i love going hard and never had a problem with that um yeah. And I remember my wife was telling me, she was like, you know, you just have an, you just have an abnormal pain tolerance. And I'm like, is it an abnormal pain tolerance or am I making a decision? Am I willing to accept the challenge, the difficulty of yeah. it? I don't know. Um, I don't know what that is psychologically, if it's, you know, or whatever, but, um, nonetheless, so you have to make a decision that you're willing to do that in my opinion, Yeah, you know, and, uh, for some people that decision is comes easier, but. It's you know, a, yeah, yeah, a lot of it is in your head, especially those those lactic acid buildup workouts. It's like your your body is capable of doing amazing things. It's your yeah. mind that's weak. Yeah, it's the limiter, <laughs> right? And yeah. I think there's a uh, what do they call that? There's an actual physiological regulator that your body has, right? And you're, yeah. you're in your mind, and your mind will be like, "Hey, um, stop, stop now." Yeah, but the body's like, "Hey, we got more juice." But the body's like, "Hey, the mind is like, hey, hold on, let's I think protect it's, ourselves." Uh, David Goggins. Have you read his book? Yeah, he talks. Yeah, he talks about that. What's, his, what's that I quote? I think it's the. I'm going to misquote it, and somebody's going to comment the right quote. But it's something like the seventy thirty rule. Have you heard of that in the seals? Yeah. So it's like when you think you're at a hundred percent, and you think I for sure need to tap out, you're seventy percent of your actual max. Yeah, you still have thirty left in the. Yeah, tank, you've your body is reserved thirty more, and so learning that's the dark place. Yeah. Learning how to tap in when you think you're at a hundred percent. Like I can't, you know, you've been sprinting, let's say for for two minutes, you've been a dead sprint, and you're like, this is it. You've actually got thirty percent left, and that's the dark place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I don't think I, I had an experience. Um, Back in the day, I used to race. I was a race. I competed in Ironman. I participated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to say I was racing it is a stretch. Um, but my very first Ironman, I was in the back half of the marathon, and I was having cramps in every portion of my body. And uh, places I didn't know that there was muscle tissue was cramping. It was yeah. freaking uncomfortable. And, I, you know, I remember uh, saying to myself, like, hey, dude, you can quit. You don't have to do this. Right. Um but I had made a decision long before that day that no matter what happened, I was going to finish. And uh, and that making that decision was what allowed me to go into that pain cave and continue to move. Now, I was I looked like a freaking crippled 90-year-old man <laughs> trying to hobble down this road, but I was not going to stop. And yeah. I didn't, right? And yeah. and I got to the finish line. I'm like, this is freaking amazing. I did yeah. that. And I went through this really and – I, and I learned something about myself that day, which was – if you set an expectation for yourself long before you have to you make the decision well before you're put in the decision moment yeah you're going to push through so with that you know when you say hey we're going to do a hard workout and it's going to freaking suck and you say my decision is i want to be i want to be a firefighter in order to become a firefighter i need to accomplish x I need to be in this level of fitness. I need to be able to deadlift X. I need to be able to run this fast. I need to be yeah. able to 
maintain you know this level of capacity how am i going to get there well it's going to take some of these workouts well i am when i when i get into that pain cave i'm i'm going there yeah and you make that decision while you're sitting in the you know at your kitchen table writing out your training plan and then you go there yeah but if you wait until you're in the middle of it you'll quit every time yeah because you're like i hold on i'm i can't even c- compute I can't reconcile why i'm in the, why am i doing this to myself yeah you know? yeah and that get that Get that training partner that doesn't let you walk away from the pain cave. You know? Yeah. Well, you make that decision together, yeah. right? Hey, we're yeah. in this we're together. We're going today. Hey, and I'll say something. One more thing about that Ironman. Uh, when I was in the pit of despair, uh, my wife, who was seven months pregnant, came out on the marathon course with me for a few minutes and walked with me. And it was the cutest thing. When I think back, she had a sun hat and a little sundress and her big belly. And she waddled along with me as I waddled. And, um, she's like, Hey, how you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm hurting. I don't feel that good. And she's like, all right, see you at the finish line. Yeah. And she left. And I look back on that and I'm like, Oh, there was a person who was my training partner, if you will, yeah. who was like, all right, suck it up. Champ, yeah. you got this. Go. Yeah. That's so funny. Cause I was competing one time and all the other wives are yelling like nice things to their husbands. Like you're doing so good, honey. <laughs> And uh, my wife yelled something I probably can't say in the podcast. No, go ahead. I'll basically, it. Yeah, she basically said, stop being a pussy. You can rest when you're done. And uh, <laughs> that's just my wife. That a uh, girl. That's what I'm talking about. You need a, people who yeah. – so, and, and she's willing to say that to you because she sees in you the, the ultimate goal. She yeah, sees in you she what, sees what you, could, you can be, right? Yeah, and she's yeah. the nicest, sweetest lady. I don't mean to make her sound mean, but <laughs> – uh, she knew that I could win, but that, you know, uh, that pain cave partner that's like encouragement wasn't what I needed. I needed somebody to tell me like, yeah. Hey, you can rest when you're done. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause if my, if my wife had come out on that marathon course and said, well, Hey, you know what, honey? Like, Oh, you shouldn't be doing this to yourself. You're going to hurt yourself. Why don't you just get in the car? Right. Blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, that would have, that would have dismantled. My fortitude. Yeah. Right? And being like, oh my gosh, right. there's an escape hatch. I, 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 no. Instead, she's like, all right, you got this. See at the finish line. Yeah. Bye. It's all that, that headspace, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's super important. So let's, so let's, like, let's take that headspace and talk about, like, now, so when going into the interview process, and I alluded to this a little bit, talking about putting yourself in front of boards and, and, you know, mock interviews and, and, and pushing yourself to do this work, right? So let's talk about, um, Let's talk about that process, right? So you talked about, um, you know, get, having the opportunity to prep guys and gals for the interview process. Yeah. And, um, you know, throughout that journey, you kind of established a, uh, a model for interview prep. And I have a, a model that I use as well when I think about the delivery of my personal information to the board. Because mm-hmm. I think that's the – and I think that's the essence of your book is how do you get – your stuff out of your brain and out of your, you know, the mess that's up inside between your ears and, and present that to a group of people. Yeah. Um, so how did you, how did you start going down that path? Like for you, I know you jumped into it, you know, when you're in the testing process yeah. and you kind of learned the school of hard knocks, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I had great mentors that took me under their wing and, and, and helped me, uh, learn how to interview and how to tell my story. And so it wasn't exactly like this. Like we've got a set method, there are steps to, and, and it wasn't yeah. quite as laid out as that. Yeah. Well, so yeah, before you ended up with your methodology, right. like how yeah. did you, before did you that? Do? So I, I met with, um, 
uh, a chief, Mike Connor. And, well, he was a firefighter at the time and then went captain and chief. But uh, he was my mentor for my interview stuff. And he was basically telling me, uh, my problem was I was listing off my resume. So, hey, I work on the ambulance and I'm an EMT and my dad's a firefighter and, uh, you know, whatever this and that. I'm a weightlifter. So you're listing off kind of your resume. Um, but the problem is, is your resume looks like everybody else's resume for the most part. Right. So he's like, you got to tell your story. Like I bought my first house when I was 19. And he goes, you got to tell him that. I'm like, well, that's a big deal. Well, and then me at 19, yeah. I'm thinking, well, Mike, I don't see how that's relevant to being a firefighter. And he's mm-hmm. like, so he, and this is in the book, but he turns the, one of the other firefighters, he's like, Hey, what do you think about a 19 year old kid? And he's like, Oh, he's probably chasing girls and being irresponsible and blah, partying and probably in college. And, and, uh, he goes, what if I told you as a 19 year old kid who has three jobs and owns his own house? And he's just silent. And Mike goes, see, see the difference? You see how it changed his perspective? Yeah. He goes, so you got to start telling your story and what kind of human being you are instead of just listing your resume. Because for the most part, anybody who's in relatively good shape, we can train to be a, a firefighter, right? It's it's not rocket science. Well, and, to, and also, we're going to teach you the relevant skill set. Yes. So what we're really looking for is good people. Yeah. And then we will teach you the skill set. And so I think the mistake that I was making is thinking, um, I need to tell them my skill set. And they don't really care that much about my skill set. Right. They care that I'm a good human being. Right. So what's your story? And, uh, and, and if you're not telling your story, then all those interviews, I'm sure you've sat on tons of them. Mm -hmm. They all start to meld together where every candidate sounds like the same person. And then you get that person that comes in and tells you that their amazing life story. And you're like, man, I want to get to know that person better. That's, that's an amazing guy or gal. And well, so let me, let me ask you something. Um, when I, so I, I, I absolutely hear what you're saying. And when I think about telling you my, my story, I suddenly get clamped up because I'm like, I don't want to come across like an arrogant prick. Right. And that's, so I think back to my, my first Ironman was before I got on the job, right before I got on the job, actually it was in the middle of some testing processes. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to talk about that because it sounds a one, somebody on the board is going to think I'm a freaking lunatic. Who the hell does that stuff? And then the other person is going to like, who the hell does that stuff? And why are you telling us? Why do we care? Right? Like, yeah. they think you're arrogant. And so I was caught like, I, I'm like, I shouldn't share this. However, when I hear what you're saying, and I think about the way I've come to appreciate this is, you know, you have to share that story because it speaks to discipline. It speaks to preparedness. It speaks to family support, right? Mm-hmm. When I talk about my wife coming on the course and yeah. encouraging me. It's a great right? story. Yeah. So those things matter. And then I, you know, honestly, when you, when I, uh, so when I finally got past myself and I started talking about that story, I said, here I was, I had set this goal, set this objective, and I was, I was falling apart physically. Yeah. I was at the lowest part, lowest point I'd ever been physiologically, and I was trying to accomplish this thing. And I realized once I, after it was all said and done, I realized that I could go to an absolute dark place yeah. and push through and come out the other side. I knew there was more in it. So if I am on the fire ground and I have to work and I'm working my ass off and there's a, there's a mayday situation, I know that I have whatever it takes mm-hmm. in me to continue to drive on. Yeah. Period. There's no quit. 
Yeah. And I know that now because I've been there. And so I finally, you know, the point being is that that's a valuable part of my personal story and my personal journey. Mm-hmm. And man, if I, if I wasn't going to share that, what a waste. Yeah. Yeah. It's there. There's so many different things you can learn just from that one great story about that. When you tell a story and somebody learns so much about you, you're thinking, well, I just told them I completed an Ironman. And you're thinking in your head that all they got from that is that you're physically fit, but they actually learned that you're married and that you've got a good support system and that you've got no quit and that you're able to set an objective and have a training plan and stick to your goal. Right. There's those, I mean, that right there are seven core concepts, yeah. if you, you know, so, but I think, and this is the point about your book and what you talk about in there is that like, you have to point that out yeah. because what I, what I, uh, think a lot of times I've sat on a lot of boards and guys will throw something out. Yeah. Well, you know, like, well, I played professional football. And they move on. Yeah. And I'm like, in my mind, what I think immediately is, so what? Yeah. Right? And and so if you can't tell me why that matters, now uh, it's merely interesting. Because you're competing with people who have done all kinds of amazing things. Oh, yeah. You know, there's people who have advanced degrees, and there's people who have played professional sports. There's people who ran Ironman, you know, the real heroes. And then, (laughs) (laughs) um, but there's people who've done all kinds of crazy stuff, special operators in the military, previous been in the fire service previously, like whatever. So people with a wide variety of experiences. So, so, and you talk about this, right? In your, the core concepts and it's being able to, you have to express to me why that matters, right? Yes. So, um, so, you know, I know you have like a, you have a format in here and I want you to kind of walk us, walk us through the format, uh, of when you talk about the presentation of your interview. Yeah. So, Oh, hold on real quick before you say that you, you, there's one thing here you said that I thought was really, really cool. And this is great. Um, you wrote, there is, and this is a quote, there is no secret phrase or word you can say to pass the interview. That's true. And I think that to me, that encapsulates the whole entire preparation pieces. There's no golden nugget. No. So how do we, if I can't get the golden nugget, what, how do I, what do I do? So. To back up a little bit, uh, everyone that's out there that's prepping for an interview, whether it's a captain's interview or a recruit interview, it's all the same way. And I know there's a bunch of people are going to be laughing, listening to this right now, but you go down to the station, you do a mock, then they tell you for the next hour how terrible your interview was. <laughs> and then you come back next week, whether it's the same crew or a different crew, and they you do the same thing over and over. So I talked to all these people like, well, I've been testing for three years and I've interviewed with eight different departments and I'm just not good at interviews. That's what you hear from everybody, right? Totally. I'm not good at yep. the interview. Heard it a hundred times. So it's not that you don't have a good story or that you're not a good candidate. It's just that no one has set you up for success. So what I tell people is when they come in and start working with me is one, we're not going to do a mock on your first day because I haven't given you the tools to be successful. That's setting you up for failure. You know, it'd be like someone coming in the gym the first day. I go, okay, let's see what your max snatch is. I'm like, well, I've never done it. I'm like, well, let's just see how it goes. Right. I'm setting them up for failure. I know it's garbage already before they've started. Yeah. It's like challenging your partner to a deadlift competition. Yeah. Yeah. I know (laughs) I'm going to win. It's a setup. (laughs) Yeah. So we always started with, hey, I'm going to teach you the method. This is the method we're going to use. And then you're going to go do homework and then you're going to come back. And Mm -hmm. usually about their third visit, then we'd start playing around with mocks. 
So I started putting this packet together to give to people because I was meeting with so many people that it was like extremely time consuming meeting with a hundred people over the course of a few months. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to start giving out this packet um, for people to do the homework so that when they come to do their mock, they are fully prepared and I don't have to keep giving this same hour long speech over and over. Well, long story short, it was actually cheaper and easier to just publish a book through Kindle publishing than to keep making these packets, which are costing me about 26 bucks with a three ring binder and printing it out and everything. So that's how the book came to be. So the process is kind of a mashup of a bunch of different methods. There's all these different interview methods out there. And my goal was to help people score full points. So in the fire department with just about every department I've ever heard of, there's some kind of score sheet and some of them have uh, benchmark words and phrases on them. Some of them are just a blank sheet and a one through 10 scoring and a space for notes. So how do we score full points? Uh, so you can't just list off your resume, which is what we call the low hanging fruit or everybody's answer in step one. You can't just tell your story because then you're missing your low hanging fruit points, right? And the whole goal is to score full points. And then you've still got to be able to relate it to the fire service and you've still got to connect the dots because more than likely your story is not a story about being a firefighter or being an EMT or paramedic. It's probably a story about Iron Man, but then you have to connect the dots. Okay. How does that relate? Which you did. You talked about if I had a mayday or whatever, I know how to dig deep. I know how to go to my dark place. Or like we talk about in the book, I told a story about growing up on my grandpa's cattle ranch in my captain's interview. And most people are like, I probably wouldn't have done that, right? You should be talking about leadership in the station and you should be talking about being an acting captain. That's great for the low hanging fruit, but guess what? All these other candidates have the exact same story. So at some point I got to create separation and that's where we talk about in the book, the storyteller method. The only way to create separation between other candidates, whether it's promotional interview or recruit interview is your personal story. No one else in that process is going to tell a story about the pain they had in an Iron Man and their pregnant wife walking alongside them. That's just your story. Right. So when you start telling stories like that, you stand out and the panel will remember, hey, remember that one guy that told that story about the Iron Man? That was really cool. Versus if you just take the low-hanging fruit and tell me generic thing, I'm an EMT and uh, you know I work out and I'm all about helping the community. Those are great things. You can say all those things just not for more than 60 seconds on the low hanging fruit step. And then you got to move on. So in a nutshell, uh, without going into the two hour dissertation of what the method is, is, uh, it's steps. You go, you take your low hanging fruit, you tell your story, you relate it to the fire service, you connect the dots, you repeat the question. So that's the basis of the method, but the so, homework is really the most important part. Well, let's dig into that a little bit because I think I called it building a toolbox and you called it building a file cabinet. Yes. So same, you know, same thing, same thing. Right. right? So to, I think this is a really important, the, one of the most important aspects for anybody prepping for any level of testing process is, is this piece where you're doing the homework, getting to know who you are. I call it doing a deep dive yeah. into your own psyche, right? And pulling yeah. out your, your stuff. So how do you, how do you get guys to gather that information? Yeah. So we have what's called the mental file cabinet. That's what we call in the book or a toolbox, whatever you want to call it. Right. And in there we have a list of core concepts. I will say this file cabinets are way more organized than, than toolboxes <laughs> in my toolbox yeah, anyway. That's so true. I think that makes more sense. That's Better true. analogy. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you got all these core concepts in there, right? And those would be your, your files. And then your personal information is what's in those files. So in the homework, we kind of give you a starting list of what core concepts are, but it'd be stuff like leadership and customer service and diversity, conflict resolution, uh, teamwork, uh, integrity, honesty. So that's like just a quick list of what we call core concepts. So before you get into the, the five-step storyteller method and the file cabinets, the most important thing to understand is the interviews are really all the same when you break it down. There's a lot of different ways to word it. I could ask you a teamwork question 10 different ways, right. but at the end of the day, the core concept is teamwork. And right. there's only so many of these core concepts that you're likely to be asked. So uh, just like with captain's testing, everyone goes, well, some cities do a role play, which for those of you who don't know, it's kind of like a little make-believe situation where a firefighter gets in trouble and you got to handle it. And people are always saying, well, I need to do more role plays, more role plays. And I go, well, you can beat your head against the wall and do a thousand role plays. And then in your test, the one role play they have is the one you didn't do. Right. Just like in interview questions, people go, well, I've done, you know, a hundred mocks and it's not getting better because you're concentrating on trying to come up with an answer for each one of these individualized questions. And if you start to just learn to pull the core concept out of the question go, okay, this question is about conflict resolution. And there's a million scenarios I could give you, but ultimately all you need to recognize is that they want to know how you resolve conflict. Right. So these are our core concepts in our mental file cabinet. And then attached to those, we're going to start uh, doing like word association. So if you say like leadership, I would say Poco, that's the name of the horse I got bucked off for, for the people that have read the book or, you know, you say, um, whatever it is, conflict resolution Then I'd say community bridges, which is my story related to that. Right. Well, so the word association, that, I mean, that's coming after you've kind of identified the story though. Yeah. Right? So you identify these stories and we tell people, go talk to your friends and your family and your coworkers and dig deep because you may think Iron Man doesn't matter for the fire department. It has nothing to do with firefighting. But then when you go talk to your wife and you say, Hey, um, you know, I got to do this homework, right? I read this book and, uh, I got to ask you, you know, what do you, what do you think, uh, makes me a driven person or whatever core concept you're trying to fill out. And she says back to you, you remember that day in the Iron Man when you had to push yourself and, and stuff that you don't even realize about yourself. Right. And we talk in the book about a guy who helped to get hired that had a uh, four year degree and played division one football for Michigan state and was the captain of the team and never told me in his interview. And it was kind of like the Iron Man thing where he goes, well, I didn't, I, or, or me with own the house. I didn't realize it mattered. Right. So when you do the homework, you reach out to people and find out like, Hey, what are the, and we call that the highlight reel. What are the most impressive, most important things about me? And it's important that you don't preface that with, this is for my fire department interview. Cause right. you don't want people to filter anything out. Because they may something say something that's completely unrelated, like, remember how you spent every summer building houses in Mexico or whatever your story is, and it's completely unrelated, but then we're going to help you in the steps, learn how to relate it and, and make it make your story really stick with that panel. So when you start going through those those core concepts, you'll start to come up with these great stories that really describe your life and what kind of human being you are and relating those stories with which core concept they match up with. And then your highlight reel is kind of like your, your exactly. It sounds like a highlight reel of your life to say, these are my main things that I have to say before I leave the interview, no matter what, that's how you start doing the homework and right. plugging that into the five step 
method to to score full points. Right. Well, what I love about what I love about that is, um, it, well, <laughs> I guess I love it because it, it resonates with me because I have a, I was told a very similar thing. I sat down with a way back with a good friend of mine, and he's like, you know, I do my little mock interview, and he, he did the exact same thing. He's like, bro. You didn't talk about Iron Man. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm struggling. I don't, I don't want to sound like a, I don't want to sound arrogant. And he's like, that's the most interesting thing. Like, you haven't said anything that's interesting right now. Right. I need to hear about that. Yeah. And so, you know, even, even when I was in the captain's process, I, I was like, okay, what can I talk about that is interesting and connected, right? Where, what are the things that demonstrate leadership, that demonstrate customer service? And I remember I told a story about, um, I was acting captain on a truck and my crew, uh, literally ran through a fence and put out a barbecue fire. It looked way more impressive, uh, on the front end yeah. turned out to be a barbecue. Um, and we went and I, we got back on the truck and I'm like, oh man, that we just broke this lady's fence. Let's run to home Depot. We went out of service for 20 minutes, bought some boards, came back, screwed the boards in and went to the homeowner. And she said, wow, Hey, you have no idea how important that was to me. My husband just died and oh, we own man. this property together and I'm not a handy person. Yeah. And and so it impressed upon me how even the littlest things are so important to our service delivery, right? Yeah. So now here I am in a captain's process and I'm not just like, well, customer service is important. Ah, oh, shucks. Right. right? It, no, let me tell you a story about how it, how it became visceral to me. And I began to connect it to a human being, so much more important than just it's a thing we do. Yeah, right. Smile and be nice. Wave. You know, people like BRTs, big red trucks, right? right. No, no, no. You know, or whatever you guys have these. <laughs> we got red trucks. Oh, good. I was saying those white East Valley white trucks. But um, so so no matter what you're doing, whether you're a rec- you're applying to become a recruit or you're in a promotional process, it's the same thing. Yeah, you just have to. You know, your organization, the organization that you're interviewing for doesn't know everything about you. And it's your responsibility to dig into the juicy stuff and bring it out to the, bring it out onto the table and yeah. say, hey, here's who I am. Yeah. And here's the values I have and why they're so important to me. And then here's the anecdote from my childhood or from my work experience that you weren't present for. Yeah. But that really shaped who I am as a yeah. leader or as a customer service agent or as a whatever, right? Yeah, and that and and with that, that it is the same. You're right. The, the promotional interview or recruit interview, uh, as far as like doing the homework and the steps, there there is a couple things I would change if people are listening and they're getting ready for a captain's test. Yeah, what would you would do differently? Um, so if you've if you've d- dived into the book already, um, uh, on step three, which is relate to fire service. Obviously, if you're testing for a captain, that's going to be a little bit of a different step. Uh, and so the, what I would change it to is as a captain or as an engineer or as a lieutenant, if you're in another part of the country. Uh, and the reason for that is I went and did, when you talk about being uncomfortable and stepping out with your mocks, even, even me testing for captain, I still went and did mocks and I went to Tempe to a station with guys that I didn't know on purpose. Never met any one of them, right? To make could and, make myself. And it's almost more uncomfortable because now you're like, I'm yes. supposed to know. Some I'm supposed stuff. to be the guy, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, a lot of pressure. Um, but so I'm doing these mocks, and I'm and I'm, in my own opinion, I'm crushing it, right? Because I'm the interview guy, and I'm just crushing it. And so they are asking me these questions about this, that, whatever, different core concepts. And then the captain tells me, he goes, hey, man, you know, that's a lights out answer, just a full dissertation on diversity. But you didn't say anything about 
as a captain. And there was a theme, like all my questions, he's like, man. It was a great firefighter interview. Have, yeah, right? couldn't have written a better answer, but you never said a word about how you're going to, how do your responsibilities change as a captain or engineer, or lieutenant, whatever. So I change things for a promotional interview. One of them is on step three, instead of relate to fire service, it's now as a captain or as an engineer, whatever you're testing for. So even if that's not part of the question, if I say, uh, tell me about the importance of diversity in the city of Phoenix. I didn't say, tell me the importance of diversity as a captain, but you're going to automatically add that in to every single question on step three. You're going to finish up after your story with now as a captain, it doesn't mean you can't still tell a story from when you were a little kid, but when you go to tie it in, you've got to talk about the roles and responsibilities of this new position you're trying to promote yeah. to. So I, th I think it's really important to understand that the, you know, the day after these interviews are all settled and whatever, uh, the organization expects to be able to put you on the front right seat of a fire truck. Yeah. So, you know, if you need, if you're trying to demonstrate that you're ready for the job, you got to speak to it. Yeah. Right. So you're doing that, yeah. you're doing that interview with that red helmet on your head. Um, because, yeah. and speaking from that level of understanding and, and, yeah. uh, and, and, uh, competency and, and organizational responsibility, et cetera, you're embracing that. Uh, in the conversation. Yeah. I remember an eye opening moment. Cause he, he asked me, I don't remember the question. I was to say it's about diversity or whatever. And I give my full big answer. I'm all happy with it. And, and he tells me, oh, you didn't say anything about diversity as a captain. And I sit back with you. It wasn't part of the question. And then the eye opening moment is he goes, well, what are you interviewing for? Oh, snap. I go, well, captain. He goes, well, don't you think it's important that you maybe touch on that a little bit? And so like turned a whole left turn, like, all right, we got to change some things right, up. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, definitely a, a big piece that, that, that I would change up. And then your, your core concepts will look a little bit different, right? So especially if you're going for a supervisor position like Lieutenant or captain or chief, um, you're going to have some core concepts that maybe are not necessary for a recruit firefighter, like disciplinary action and supportive action and, um, questions that you, a recruit would never get a question about, uh, disciplining another employee. But as a captain, you may need to adjust your core concept or your file cabinet a little bit and say, okay, I could get asked about that. Um, so that, that's those are the, on a basic level. Those are some of the adjustments that you need to make for a promotional interview. But like you said earlier, Overall, it's really not that much different. And uh, we've sold books in three different countries so far. And we've, we've only published about 90 days ago, so it's brand new. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and my wife was like, well, you know, we just sold a book in, in England. And I, she's <laughs> like, do you think, uh, what do you think it's like over there? You think the book's going to help them over there in England? Because surely it's not like Arizona. And I said, well, I think an interview is an interview no matter where you're at in the world, you know, it's the same. They want good people, like we said in the beginning. So uh, whether you're in Canada or England or the United States or wherever you're listening to this, the interview, it, it's really not that much different. Ultimately, they want to know those core concepts and they want to know what kind of human being you are. And uh, yeah. I don't think it changes that much. Yeah. And I would submit to you that if you're even in the private sector now, panel interviews are a little bit different, but in the, even in the private sector, you know, the research that you do ahead of time is, you know, what do you think organizations are still looking for quality people and they, you know, the way that we answer a question is still kind of the same thing. You need to bring your, your own personal stuff yeah. to the, to the table. Yeah. Um, so that piece right there, building a file cabinet of, of, of important personal anecdotes is yeah. 
critical and then tying it to core concepts that could come up in any interview or or yeah. if you do some research on the industry that you're applying for you know if you want to be an auto mechanic right yeah. what's important there well integrity and accountability those are important concepts in repairing a customer's car right yeah. making sure it's done right and being a hard and having a good work ethic those are things that you can demonstrate in a in any panel interview or any interview, yeah. frankly. And we've got that as one of our core concepts. We call it city specific, which is, did you do your homework on that specific city? So if right. I'm interviewing with Phoenix fire versus trying to get into medical school versus being a mechanic, my homework needs to look a little bit different for each one. Right. And what's important to that organization is right. it's funny. You mentioned like to people in, in the private sector interviewing for anything. So we had a girl that got into medical school. She's like, I use the method to get into medical school. You know, even though it's kind of yeah. pretty heavily leaning towards firefighters, yep. uh, it really works good for anything. If you're I, interviewing yeah. for Phoenix alarm or whatever you're interviewing for, uh, that, that universal interview is an interview. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think there's definitely some crossover there. Um, well, so you talked about this book just being launched, but so tell me where, um, where can people get their hands on it? Uh, it's on Amazon. Amazon is the only place you can get it. That's so, where I bought uh, it. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, if you just go on Amazon and search fire interview or fire interview, the storyteller method, uh, it should pop right up there. Uh, the, it's the Navy blue one by Brendan trainer. There's a couple different books out there, but, uh, and then we have an Instagram, which is at fire underscore interview. Or if you just search fire interview, we're the first one that'll pop up. And, uh, we post uh, interview advice videos about once a week, and then we post a bunch of memes and funny stuff. And right now we're doing our 24-day giveaway. So so it's, the book's not really about making money. So I told everybody in our in our live announcement, I said, I'm going to take the money we've made so far. I'm going to buy stuff from all these other small fire department companies like uh, Fire Department Coffee. I saw you had him on the podcast recently. So yep. we bought coffee from him, and we bought stuff from Worst Responders and uh, all, all different pages um, and a bunch of sticker pages. And we're just giving it all away on our page every day. Not just giving stuff away. Um, so follow us on Instagram. We're on Facebook too, but Instagram's really where, where everybody's at. Yeah, old people like. go to Facebook is what I'm told. Yeah. I That's what my kids tell me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My wife's like, you gotta have an Instagram. So I'll post something and it posts on both. And then they're like seven people liked it on Facebook and 700 people like it on Instagram. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Everybody's on Instagram. Yeah. Indeed. But, uh, right on, man. Well, that's great. So, you know, I, I encourage anybody who's, who's, in a process to get their hands on this book. Um, it's a, you know, it, the interview being prepared for an interview is an art form and it takes work to master the craft and you've mm -hmm. got to put the time in if you want to be good at it. You can't just, it's not just talking to people. You got to prepare yourself. Yeah. You so gotta do the homework. Yep. And I love the way you lay it out in your book. And so I'd encourage anybody to go. It's an easy read. It reads really well. It's well written. Um, it's well put together and a, a great read. So I, I mean, like the way yours looks. That's how I want everybody's to look. It's just got, <laughs> I'll post a picture of sticky it. Sticky notes popping out everywhere. And, uh, <laughs> it's got nice big barges. You should have notes and highlights. And yeah, that, I really try to press hard in there. Like you can't just read the book and think you've got the golden ticket. Yeah, There's no got notes. In yeah, there. You've got to, you've got to do homework. That book should be marked up like, like medical school or emt school and uh so i love when i came in i saw your books all marked up with stuff and it's awesome right well hey brendan thank you man for taking the time and sitting down with me and, and going over it and i think it's i really appreciate what you're doing because you're sharing um a valuable asset and a valuable learned experience that you have with 
you know, anybody out there who's, who's trying to get, get in the game. Um, you know, this is how we give, you know, we talk about giving back and this is yeah. giving back, man. So I, I, uh, I really appreciate you doing that for our brothers and sisters that are coming behind us. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Absolutely. It was awesome. My pleasure. Hey, that's all we have for today. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Brendan, thanks for being the guest on the podcast and I uh, wish you the best of luck with your book. And if you, you're enjoying this content, hey, go out and subscribe. This podcast will drop in the middle of the night. Uh, get on iTunes, rate and review. Send me some feedback by email, what have you. Uh, if you or somebody you uh, know or love or think would be a fantastic guest, feel free to send me suggestions. I'm always open. Uh, in the meantime, uh, go out and get a copy of Fire Interview. It's a great little book and uh, provides a lot of uh, great information about how you can refine your interviewing skills. Take the lessons you learn there and go on out and get some.